Welcome. If you are visiting today, my name is James, one of the pastors here. Uh, glad to have you. Uh, how many of you remember this show? Anybody remember this show? Uh, what would you do? Anybody that? Yeah. Um, so here's a show, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, where it, you know, it's like reality TV, and what they would do is they would set up, they would hire actors and set up real life uh, intensive situations. So it could be, you know, like a, an abusive parent, or it could be like someone robbing, you know, something right in front of you, or you know, some racial slurs, or or some sexism. That's pretty obvious. And and what they would do is they would have these scenarios, and then they would just see what would people do if they were presented, and you could watch all the different reactions going on and the guy would be behind like that like okay like enter the other guy and, and the intention would get the the scene would even get more intense they'd have other actors come in and just make it even more hard and then finally they'd bust out and be like it's just a tv show and everyone's like oh please don't air this um but it's you know what would you do so um uh, as we are leading up to Easter, one of the things I've felt and wanted to do as we kind of enter back into the book of Matthew is, is really place ourselves in these last hours of Jesus, our great Savior. And, and, and my heart has been for us is that we would really just feel the emotions of these real historical moments for us, that, that we would smell the smells, that we would... We would we would feel the intensity of what Jesus went through, the, the level of love, what it cost him to be our Savior. And, and so uh, today, like that show, what, I, what I'm asking you to do is place yourself in this passage today. So uh, we're going to look at where Jesus is uh, placed before Pilate where Barabbas is released, where the crowds yell, crucify him. And I, I want you to see you there. And so that's going to take a miracle. Um, but I want you to ask for that miracle. So I, like we did last Sunday, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you take my soul? Will you bring my soul to the cross this morning? Like I want you to pray Jesus, the soul that you made, that you knit, will you take me to the cross that you paid for that? Just take me there. So you pray, and then uh, I'll pray now. Um, yeah, let's do that. Okay, you pray, and then I'll pray. Uh, Father, I just want to, I pray along with many that you would help us, help us exactly where we're at in our lives this week by taking us to the cross, by taking us to who you are for us, what you've done in real history, Lord, as we celebrate like this coming Sunday, a Resurrection Sunday, 
Paul says, if this event didn't happen, our faith is in vain. We're just making this up. But if Jesus really did rise from death, then he really is who he says he is. And Lord, we're here. Many of us have, just even in the songs we sang, felt the life and the resurrection of Jesus. And some of us are just, we're tired. It's been busy and we're distracted. And I just, I pray you would pull us out of our weeks and into this, into your last hours. Just help us stand where you stood and change our lives there, I pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use use my gifts uh, to build up the body and help me teach with clarity. And I, I pray we'd have ears to hear. I pray give us discernment of spirits if there's lies that we're listening to that are not of you, any condemnation that that would be met with a loud gospel and that, that you would just block that out. And I pray, Holy Spirit, if there's a word for us for the body through someone that you would just share that and that we would hear from you um, all morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 27, 11 to 31. Now Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, you have said so. But, he, but when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear many like how many things they testify against you, but he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, of, now at the, feast the governor was accustomed to release the crowd, any one prisoner whom they wanted, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas? or Jesus who was called Christ, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas, Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of, 
off the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Okay, so the chief priests we saw last week, the religious leaders, they hire a mob uh, under the betrayal of Judas. They bring Jesus into this illegal trial. They condemn him to death. That's when Peter denies him three times. And now they're bringing him to the only one who has the authority to carry out this sentence. It's the governor. And they come and they accuse Jesus of having this political agenda. Okay, in Luke's gospel, um, he records them saying this to Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ a king. Okay, so what's their agenda? Well, their hope is to say, hey, Pilate, this man um, isn't saying we need to obey or live under Caesar's rule. This man's saying that we're, we're, we need to obey him, that we need to center our lives around him, that he is the way, even more, he is claiming to be the, mess, the Messiah. He's, he's proclaiming to be our king, the Christ. You don't want another king on your hands, do you? And so they paint Jesus as this political insurrectionist, and they're jealous. Pilate even says that in verse 18. It's, we read, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Um, it's, it's interesting, notice, the primary reason many, and then they, the reason they wanted Jesus dead, um, the envy didn't come out of, out of a place of like, you know what, we don't really like the Sermon on the Mount. Or we didn't like the way, you know, Jesus moved towards the marginalized, the way we didn't. They wanted him dead because of his claims. Like Jesus claims to being their king. Jesus claims to coming to forgive sin. Jesus claims to say, I'm the way to heaven. I'm the way to God. Created the greatest hostility. And, and it's, it's the same today. And the, like the question is why? Well, they know this, and, and many do deep down today. If, if Jesus' claims are true, it's all or nothing. Like if what Jesus says about himself is true, then he would really be who we were made for. He would really be who we need. He would be who the religious leaders need to bow down and make him Lord. They would, he would really, really need, they would need to center their lives around him. But they, they just, they loved their status, they, they loved being the go-to. The, they loved carrying themselves with so much pride and, and they had their own way to God. They, their way to God was, is many of the same ways that people do just different, different icing is they, they, they obeyed the law. They, were, they, they knew if they were good and they did these things that God would accept them. And so they want Jesus, they want him sentenced to death. Let's get rid of this all or nothing savior. He's just, get him out. So he's now standing, you get, now just stay here with me. He's now standing before the very man who will determine if he's executed or not. Pilate, so who's Pilate? Historians, just I like pointing out that Christianity really happened, it's true. Uh, Josephus records, he's an historian, our earliest historian, has many, by the way, uh, manuscripts of early church history. 
points out that he was a governor from AD 26 to 36 AD. He was, he was uh, recalled and sent into exile in 36. That's the last we hear of him. Eusebius, who was, who was found, who was a historian later, in the, I think later 200s, was, was records that he was forced to commit suicide under the emperor Gaius. Anyways, Pilate, the way they historians describe him, was he was a ruthless, murderous type of governor. He actually prided himself in like being corrupt. But what's crazy is even him in this moment can see there's nothing like a terrorist in this man, Jesus. I mean, he even takes one look at Jesus and goes, oh, I don't think he's gonna overthrow Rome. And so he just asks our first verse in verse 11. So Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Are you, gonna, are you a political leader? Are you gonna try to rule? Are you this Messiah of the Jews? And he, he says to him, you've said so. In John's gospel, now this is a whole different sermon, so we, we'll preach it another time, but in John's gospel, and I encourage you to read it, Pilate says this to him, it'll be on the screen. So you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's a phenomenal moment. The Logos, the creator of all things, ultimate reality is pointing to the greatest truth that every soul will ever need. Who is God? What has he done? Jesus said, for this purpose, I was born. But we're in Matthew, and I want to highlight to you not what he says, but what we learn about Jesus in his silence. In verse 12, you can look at it if you have a Bible open. Twice. Verse 12, but when he was accused by the chief priests and the others, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you, like, are you hearing this? <laughs> Say something. But he gave no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Greatly amazed is because, especially in that, in that time period when execution was so horrific, Josephus says it's the most wretched of deaths. It was very common for prisoners to like frantically try to make a case. Like they want to at least lessen the sentencing or they were like trying to get themselves out of it. So they would be pleading, arguing, reasoning, finding a ways out because flogging and crucifixion was so horrible and Jesus remains silent. Just so you know, Jesus could have flexed. Like he could have flexed his gifts of wisdom. He could have flexed his divinity. He got himself out of so many situations where he was about to be stoned just with his words. He could just get out. He could have easily exited that. But he doesn't. The only answer he gives is to the governor. Instead of justifying himself, he was justifying us. That is, he's not trying to get out from under the hammer. He, he's taking it. He's being smashed by it. Isaiah 53 
prophesying of their Messiah, of the Jewish Messiah, says this. It won't be on the screen, but I'll read it for you. You can look it up in your Bible. Isaiah 53, 7. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Instead of justifying himself, he's justifying us. What does that mean? In Romans, Paul teaches us, just you know, so in the New Testament, you have the four gospels, which are explanations of like eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, what he's done. When Jesus rises from death, Luke records the significance of what happened in the early church. And then all your other New Testament letters, especially those written by Paul, are, are explanations of what these events mean and meant and how they live themselves out in our lives. So in Romans, Paul says, Romans 8, 9, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. So what does this mean, justified? Well, you need to know it's not identical with being forgiven. It's, it's, it's so much more. It's, it's so much more, okay? In a courtroom, being declared not guilty is, is different than being declared forgiven, right? Um, being justified implies that you have been tried and found innocent and you're vindicated. The trials got the trial innocent. It's a legal act. It's a, it's, a, it's a declaration. Romans 3 says we're justified by his grace as a gift. What this means is on the cross, in the courtroom of heaven, because of the blood of Jesus, our record and the judgment for our record found its payment, paid full, paid for in full. The record that stood against you and me and its requirements of obedience found a death, a perfect substitution, and it's been received. It's been, it's been canceled, canceled for our failures to keep the law. But that's, that's still not the same as being declared a law keeper. Okay, so, you know, if your teacher, uh, like, like, takes an F away from your record on an exam, says, I'm not gonna count this against you. That's different than declaring it an A. Are you, are you with me? This is really important. That's different than saying you got an A. So cancellation, that has to happen. Because God's good, he will judge sin and he will. But something more has to happen to be declared justified, righteous. And, and, and sure, this is what Jesus is doing in his silence. He's obeying the Father. See, Jesus' whole life was being lived as a substitute as well. His whole obedience to God as a 
full human with all the temptations and wiring of man as a representative obeyed God where we couldn't, worshiped God where we couldn't, where we needed a righteousness. He got an A. And then he exchanges that A for RF. In, in, in Romans, he goes on, he explains this in verse 10. This is the next verse. He says this, for while we were enemies, for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Just so you know, that's the goal. Like, you know, like if you're not a Christian in here and you might think like, oh, you guys like need all this, you know, like, but listen, listen, the goal of not having guilt in our lives and not having this sense of like, where, what's my meaning? I need to create that myself, but having an identity given to us in Jesus that gives us this kind of new life and joy and all how we love each other, all that, 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 that flows out of what we want most, God. Like just, you know, being a Christian is really great because you get to know God. You get to talk to God, right? He's right there when the worst things, because he's your friend. So we're reconciled to God. That's the goal of the gospel. How? By the, what's the word? Let's try it again. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death. That's how you're, death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled. Now listen, shall we be saved by, what's our word? His life. For, this is verse 19, for as by one man, that's Adam, disobedience, the many were made sinners. So the Bible teaches that you, because of this man's sin, has an imputation of you don't want to love God first in your life. You want to live for you. And everything you do flows from that is just, you, you don't want God. You're born in sin. Adam's disobedience is given to you. This man's righteousness by Jesus's life also comes into your life. So let me say it this way. Jesus lived the life we could not live. Jesus was silent so we could be saved. If he spoke up and got himself out from the hammer, from under the judgment, we would receive the blow. But because he didn't, and he obeyed the Father fully, and he lived the perfect life in our place, we're here today, and you're righteous. You know what's interesting? In all, I'm just gonna throw the pulpit now because I'm like, there's so much energy. In all of the New Testament letters, Paul doesn't open up his letters, doesn't, he doesn't say this, Paul an apostle to the sinners in Ephesus. You guys are a bunch of sinners. How does he open all his letters? To the saints. Sometimes I think we think of ourselves too wretchedly in Christ. We're not. You're completely righteous. The Father, there's no courtroom on your life. The enemy will wake, you up, wake up with you because the Bible says he's the accuser of the saints night and day. And while, you know, like you're, you're trying to wake up and you're like, okay, I guess I do this. And then you wake up and you start reading and you, you know, the enemy's like, oh, you lost your focus. How, how sold out are, are you? You know, Susie from Bible study reads it for an hour. You suck. You're like, oh, like, and, and you just get these condemnations all the time. And then you, all of a sudden you put yourself back in the courtroom to see if you're okay with God. 
And it's been declared, if you're a Christian in here, just you're righteous. You're, he sees you with Jesus's love. Listen, like this is how Paul lived his life. Um, the work of Christ is not an identity that you achieve. It's a, it's a performance that he has done. He's impressed the Father with his life. You don't have to live your life to try to impress the Father. Jesus already has done that. You have an A. Okay? You have an A. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have an A. You have an A. You do. This is the gospel. Philippians 3.9 says this, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from obeying. He says, not having a record of my own that comes from performance, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Okay. Amen. Okay, so Matthew continues. Look with me now, verse 15. Now at the feast, the Passover, no, no. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had a notorious prisoner called, uh, just, you know, our, our earliest manuscripts of Matthew all have Barabbas's full name. It's Jesus Barabbas. But what scholars, New Testament scholars, tell us why they're taken out in the later manuscripts is because the reverence of the name was so high so that when the scribes were, rewrite, were writing it, they didn't want Jesus next to Jesus. But what's powerful is he's saying, which Jesus do you want? And it's interesting because Barabbas, um, he, he was like the Jews' Robin Hood. He, he was an insurrectionist against Rome. The Jews and the Romans did not get together. So he would have been the guy who was like just messing with the Romans, like just taking their money, giving it back to the Jews. Like he was the Robin Hood of their day. And there were th three crosses prepared that afternoon or the next day. And all three were with Barabbas. Okay, where are we? Besides, okay, verse 19, besides while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. He said, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all of the more, let him be crucified. So Pilate, Believing Jesus is innocent, wanting to adhere to a tradition that showed the goodwill of the governor, says, who do you want? Maybe, maybe. See, the crowds weren't there at this first. It was just the chief priests and elders. So maybe he's thinking, I got to get out from under this. My wife had a bad dream during her day nap, and uh, this isn't good. So he's probably thinking, hey, maybe the crowds would want their Messiah back. Like they just, they just sang Hosanna. So maybe Hosanna, they want him back. They don't. Sure, church, one thought I want to give you is what if our neighbors have never considered the question of Pilate, what evil has he done? because 
the voice of the culture is so loud to have him ridden from our lives. One of the greatest ways to just, in a conversation that the Spirit leads in great love, is bring people to Jesus. And just say, have you considered the life of Jesus or the words of Jesus? Maybe not what Christians say, but just on what he says about himself. And you can say, it was really interesting. Pilate, who was, didn't really spend time with Jesus, asks the crowd who did, what evil has he done? And there's no answer, because he didn't. Focus with me on Pilate just for a second. Despite what he knows, and despite even his wife's dream, he doesn't do the right thing. My question is, why? Like, why does he give Jesus over? In verse 24, we, we get a glimpse that it says they were gaining nothing. In Luke's gospel, in verse 23, it says their voices prevailed. In John's gospel, we read the chief priests, they come to him in this and just pinch him at his pressure point. He says, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. So they pinch him and what he loves most. And what's that power? His power, he's a governor. He's addicted to what most governors want most, political power, authority, you know? Pilate's not willing to take any personal risk. And so what does he do to feel better? He says, I'll just put this on them. I'll put it on them. He, verse 24, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Like, I'm not responsible for him. And that's where he's wrong. Okay, you cannot be free of guilt just by declaring it. You cannot be free of guilt just by declaring it, okay? Reminds me of that, the, uh, the episode in The Office where Michael declares bankruptcy. Remember that one? I declare bankruptcy! And uh, one of the guys got to come in and be like, you know, you can't just say that and anything happens, right? But you can't. Pilate marvels at Jesus. He approves Jesus. He proclaims his innocence, but he's not willing to suffer for him in any way. He doesn't do the right thing, but the popular thing. And let me just ask, as you reflect, is that you? Like, is that you? I mean, seriously, think about your life. Like, he marvels at Jesus. He approves Jesus. He proclaims his innocence, and he's not willing to suffer for him in any way. He's addicted. Now, most of us can spot addictions, like maybe like alcoholism or like even sex addicts, but, but, but far more dangerous to our souls is the subtle relational ones. Far more dangerous is the way we maneuver conversations to get what we want or to protect us from what we're afraid of losing most, approval. Like, like, I've noticed this. You tell a defensive guy, some of you guys are defensive guys. You tell a defensive guy who's, you know, likable and competent that he's addicted to never being unfairly judged. And guess what? He'll feel unfairly judged. 
You try to say anything in love regarding, hey, maybe there's something there, and he'll accuse you of just not seeing the whole picture. You tell Pilate, who's addicted to the power and prominence of his position, do what's right, not what's popular, he'll do whatever it takes to keep his status. Like Pilate, all of our hearts, they, they preserve, they're wanting to seek control and approval. We're all, in many ways, subtly addicted to the thing we're terrified of losing the most, a sense of us or power, security, and all the things that we're meant to have fully in God. And the question is, if we can't find it in anywhere else, we have to give it ourselves. We have to build it ourselves. Where else is Pilate gonna find it? But only when the true power, the power of God is yours despite you, only then can you be truly free. And only then can you truly have power. If Pilate saw the wonder of Jesus and felt more concerned with his kingship than his own, had a fear of him than of himself, he wouldn't have been a coward. And, you know, we, we feel this. Like, today's culture says... Be yourself, and, and your, your true self is determined by you, and it's on you to bestow the verdict of who you are in well-being, right? That's what our culture says, but here's the truth. Anytime, when you look at any time in history, you cannot get a significance through self-recognition, Okay? In the end, you can't name yourself or bless yourself. You can't ultimately say to yourself, I don't care what anyone says. I'm a, you know, I think I'm a beautiful, everyone thinks I'm a monster, but I love myself and that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what people say. That, you, that wouldn't convince you of your worth. And we know this, here's what one put it. We need someone from outside to say we are of great worth and the greater the worth of the person telling us so, the more powerful that recognition is to our identity formation. We know that. Who's the most powerful person in your life? They're, they're the ones forming your identity or, or breaking it. And so if you try to authenticate and validate yourself, you'll place yourself in an infinite loop of delusion, which will lead to narcissism or, or self-loathing, and you'll be like, how do I get out? Okay, if you're a teenager in this room or you're grade six to 19, will you stand up for a second? I just want you to stand. If you're a teenager in this room. Teenagers, stand up. I want you to stand up. Teen, preteen, okay. Thank you. Okay, stay standing and look right at me because this is for you, okay? I love you. We're gonna pray for you in a second. But your culture the modern process of you forming an identity, just so you guys know, is new. Like no society has ever said, go out and create a cell from scratch other than yours. And, and the pressure isn't you could. You guys could create your own identity. It's you must. Today, the pressure is if you want to feel like you're, you matter, you need to identify your dreams, no matter how vivid they are. You need to fulfill them or feel like a failure. That's what your culture is saying. And it's discover your deepest desires because that's the true you. And if you fulfill them, then you'll truly find you. And I just want you to know, 
And listen, I'm not talking about those who like we need to have great compassion on, who really feel trapped in a different person's body, but even gender. Your your sexuality is is up to you, and you're you're free to choose whoever you want to be based on how you sexually feel. Now, here's what's good about our culture. It's shaped by Christianity, which says the human being has value and dignity and worth, but it upholds it too high and it elevates you as the sovereign Lord of your life way too high and it's crushing you. Many of you will look for power, success, to your sexual desires, to your romantic relationships, to how well you're accepted on social media, to give you a sense of who you are. Those might be, in the right times in God's eyes, good things. But they're not identity factors. God has come to give you an identity. The gospel says that he's achieved for you an identity that you, young people, you teenagers, need to walk in. God has given you, look right at me, the ultimate recognition. You have the approval and acceptance, not only because you're made in the image of God, so you have value and dignity, but because you've been bought by God. And he's given you a new desire with a new heart, and you have a new purpose in Christ. That's true of you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? It's going to be a little brave. Okay, church, here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want you to look at these youth. Everyone look at these youth, okay? It's going to be the worst Sunday for them ever. <laughs> I promise I'm not going to do this again to you guys. But listen, listen, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit if there's one of them you can encourage and pray for. And then I, when we respond, I want you to go up to them and I want you to share with them an encouragement. And I want you to pray for them. And okay, so here's what I'm asking you guys to do. We're gonna have a prayer team up here. They're either gonna find you or, but if you're struggling right now, I'm serious, like if you have any of this identity, I don't know who I am, or it's really dark for me, or I can't get out of this, this cycle of, of just, it's not good. Just say that and get prayer. We wanna pray for you today. We're so excited about what God's doing in your lives. And he is, he's doing something in your life. Okay, you may be seated. Thank you. Let's give the youth, you know, yeah. Okay. So there's a cross intended for Barabbas. Now I want you to be him for a second. So Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who's called Christ? They said, let him be crucified. Imagine he's, imagine you're him. Imagine you're in prison. You're getting ready to be crucified. He's thinking about the the suffering, the suffocation that's gonna happen. He's thinking about just how his back and buttocks and legs would feel once those cat and nine tails start throwing themselves into them. He's thinking of the nails. If he has a family, he's thinking of his family. Then he hears a crowd outside yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And then he's just like, this is the worst. It's gonna be any minute. He then hears, you know, the gates open up and he's just like, oh man, like just probably shivering a little bit and shaking. Soldiers are like, you're free. 
He's like, how could I be free? They're like, come on out. And imagine they take him to show Barabbas the answer and then go, that's how you're free. Do you know what he's gonna say? He's gonna say, wait a minute, that's, that's my cross he's bearing. Like those are my nails he's receiving. That's my death he's dying. Barabbas is the only person in history who could actually literally say that. That he could literally say, I'm breathing his fresh air. Like I'm released, completely released. None of my crimes will be looked at. He's taking my cross. And that's the gospel. We are Barabbas. Jesus took our place so we can be released. See, you need to know this. It's not that Jesus just dies to forgive you and all his sins go to him, but his freedom comes to you. You're released. His righteousness comes to you. You are now treated as if you never did these things. That's the gospel. Instead of justifying himself, he's justifying you. Verse 26, then he released for them Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Jesus' hands would have been chained above his head to expose his back and his legs to an executioner's whip called a cat on nine tails. In your Bible, by the way, they'll have this. It'll say, a Roman judicial penalty consisting of severe beating with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. Others, uh, historians have recorded that they would have heavy balls of metal to like tenderize the, the way you would tenderize a piece of meat so that it would be ready to just cut into. And so these bones and metal edges would sink into parts of your flesh, your shoulders, your back, your buttocks, your legs. One's hooks sunk deeply into tenderized meats. The, the, the executioner would rip like, like when you catch a fish. They would just pull. And whatever came out, came out. And muscles and skin and tendons would rip from the victims and victims would just scream and they would cry and they would yell and they would shake violently. And this happened. Isaiah says as a result of Jesus scourging, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance I was thinking like, why not come in a time where death was less horrific? I mean, other than the many prophecies that happened in Jesus coming. But I was thinking about this bloody, the wretchedness of this kind of death. 
And I think that's partly why he came. To show us the horrificness of sin, the way that Israel would feel and see it in the amount of blood that it cost them year to year to know that they were saved by grace. Then the soldiers of the gunner took Jesus to the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. I think Jesus probably saw that moment when, when Pilate asked him, Are you King of the Jews? And they spit on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him and stripped him of the robe, they put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. I see the crowd in Pilate's hall, their furious cries I hear, their shouts of crucify a Paul, their curses fill my ear. And of that shouting multitude, I feel that I am one. And in that din of voices rude, I recognize my own. I see the scourges rend the flesh of God's beloved son. And as they smite, I feel afresh that I of them am one. Around the cross, the throng I see that mock the sufferers groan. Yet still my voice, it seems to be as if I mocked alone. "'Twas my sin shed the sacred blood "'that nailed him to the tree. "'I crucified the Christ of God. "'I joined the mockery. "'Yet not the less that blood avails "'to cleanse me from my sins, "'and not the less that cross prevails "'to give me peace within.'" 